0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views about life extension from around the world. When we think about extending healthy lives, there doesn't seem to be much reason for restraint. Who could argue against giving people the choice to live longer without the pain and agony of the aging process? Well, as any student of history knows, human progress is not without pitfalls, sometimes deadly pitfalls. So it is good to reflect upon and chart some of the possible downsides to extending lives. To help us in that regard, tonight's guest, biomedical ethicist Dr. Lori Zoloth will share what she sees across the current life extension landscape. And now I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, Dr. Lori Zoloth.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Well, everything is going fine. Before we get into some of the questions about life extension for tonight, could you briefly describe your professional and academic background?
1: I'm a professor of bioethics and medical humanities at Northwestern University School of Medicine and Northwestern University Weinberg College of Art and Science, where I teach religion, um, especially Jewish studies.
0: All right, and tonight we're talking about medical ethics and life extension. Whether fair or not, in popular media, you have often been cast in with those who oppose developments in life extension. How would you characterize your position, that is, if you can encapsulate it in a few words or a couple of sentences?
1: Well, I believe in all sorts of good medical research and supporting medical research to make human life um, fuller and richer and more um, and better quality. I just think that medicine has a duty to try to avoid suffering, try to address problems of of illness and suffering in, in humanity. With that being said, I am sometimes critical of life extension at the expense of all other qualities and all other important issues in life, including and most especially the importance of addressing um, the extreme poverty in the United States right now and the great gap and growing gap between the rich and the poor. So I don't like the idea of life extension being a privilege that only the rich can afford um, if life extension research is publicly funded. It should be directed to a larger social good, and that means it has to be available to all, rich or poor.
0: So that kind of follows up on the next question that I was going to ask about clarifying that position in more detail. Uh, One particular issue that has drawn the ire of Life Extension Advocates is that you have mentioned You know, technology industry billionaires should not be focusing so heavily on curing aging that money should be more widely distributed. Uh, Could you develop that in a little more detail?
1: Well, one of the reasons that these people have such a grotesque amount of money is not because they're so clever. It's because at some point, either they or someone in their family, their parents, their grandparents, was able to avoid the um the tax that would give a a fair percentage of their taxes above their wealth to the society that supports them so that's why our roads need repair that's why our railroad lines are in terrible shape that's why many diseases that mostly confront mostly are are a result of poverty or social economic class depression are not really addressed and so, those—that's the kind of thing that people who have excess should devote their um, their charity towards. They should put their to- charity towards the poor, just okay. as it says in Hebrew Scriptures and in the Testament.
0: Well, could there not be an a? Uh... Objective value placed upon life extension research, whether or not it's by rich people or it's by governments, in the fact that even if the benefits originally go to the wealthy, that the knock-on effects that would be distributed throughout society... Would be good in the long run because one way that rich, you know, wealthy people, Wall Street, tech industry, billionaires are often portrayed is pursuing hedonism, buying a bigger yacht, you know, having escorts and, and this and that. Wouldn't it be better that they are chasing after life extension rather than well, bigger? It's
1: better, yachts? They, it's better it's better if they donate their money to the National Institute of Health. And then you could have a serious discussion about what our, our research priorities should be. Maybe it should be um, infant diabetes. Maybe it should be um, hypertension. It may not be necessarily their their particular bodies living longer. What they're interested in is, is research for their particular bodies, for their particular lives. And that's not how good science is funded. Now, you could say, and I've made this point, that at least they're spending their money on, on and giving their money to some sort of science. As opposed to just buying another yacht, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's better that they should spend all their money actually on um, on scientific research than any of their money on, say, you know, plastic surgery or things for their, own, you know, having to do with their own, their own pleasure. Um, I'm I'm of the opinion though that the reason they have wealth is because the tax laws in this country are not fair. So it's, it's possible that you who are right now doing the podcast might might have a, a better and richer and more satisfying life if the social resources and the, the social goods of our society were enhanced by a proper tax law. The reason they have all this money is because they're not taxed properly. That's, I think that's what we have to examine what we mean by wealth in the first place. Uh,
0: all right. Uh, no,
1: yeah. one should, no one should make an unjust amount of profit. Nobody should. And then when you, when you say, well, if they make an unjust amount of profit, at least they're spending it on things that might, at some conceivable future, benefit me. Right. Um, yeah, that's an argument. That's okay. an argument.
0: All right, well, then you wouldn't say that, I mean, there's different countries around the world with different tax laws that seem to be more you know, socially just, that distribute wealth more evenly. But even in those countries, you have the top of the income pie where there are wealthy people. Now, you wouldn't say that- Yeah, except,
1: except, that, except in a country like Norway, a country like Denmark, where there's not a radical divide between the rich and the poor, in large part because of the taxes that the rich people pay, Oh, Correct. Yes, they, 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 it, right? Then it's a better life for everyone. I understand, life everyone. yeah. There's, and there's not this kind of goal. Uh,
0: but even in Norway, right. there are wealthy people, and you're not saying that wealthy people should be banned from pursuing life extension just because they're wealthy.
1: No, I don't believe anyone should be banned from doing something just because of some feature of their, of their social situation. I'm asking, I'm just talking about a moral imperative that you might want to say. You might want to say, perhaps you ought to live, um, like it says in our scriptural tradition, which says that 10% of your wealth really doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the poor.
0: All right. And then also, how would you respond to the argument that uh, governments perhaps cannot distribute that wealth pie in an efficient manner?
1: I you, think that's wrong. You think that's wrong. Right. <laughs> I think that's wrong. I, yeah, I think it's wrong. I, am. I, um, I mean, you I obviously that,
0: do know of incidences of government waste and lethargy and.
1: I, I, I actually, I know that's a, that's the thing that people say. Oh, there's so much government waste, but mostly our government works pretty remarkably given the constraints that it takes. I'm much more. I'm much more aware of, of the kind of social injustices put forward by people who are wealthy. The kind of wasteful lifestyles that I that I read about, that I hear about. That seems much more wasteful to me okay. than, say, the post office or, or, the, or the train system or something. Sure, I don't see a lot of wealth, a lot of waste in the, in the national park system. Sure. So if you, want, if you want to talk about extend, extending life, life extension, the most good gains in overall quality of life have been things that have to do with public health, things that have to do with child welfare. What drives down average life expectancy is people dying before they're, before they're five people dying. Of, that, that that was a change. It's not that people are living longer. By and large, it's because, it's because more people have the chance to live.
0: Yes. Moving on to a different line of thought here. You've been known as a Orthodox Jewish bioethicist, perhaps as a general description. Do you think you could develop how you see your Jewish perspective on extending life versus that of, say, Leon Cass or Francis Fukuyama, who also somewhat say oppose life extension efforts
1: well my position would be different than the two folks you mentioned simply because of the strong um imperative within the jewish scriptural tradition for healing and repairing and saving lives whenever you can so to the extent that that people are dying too soon because of diseases that could be eliminated or prevented then of course that research should continue and should go forward just as it was really a good thing when stents, heart cardiac stents were developed, really a good thing when um, when statins were developed, really good, very good thing with all the advances in diabetes care. That extended life. That extended. That made the life of elderly people much better. So anything you can to make um, human beings' life more rich and more fulfilled and freer of suffering, of course, that's a good thing. Right. And we. And my only concern isn't the 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 fact of extending life. My concern is does everyone have access, does everyone have access to that kind of research and that kind of medicine. And if that was fairly distributed, then why would you not do it? Why would why would you oppose it? I don't believe in um having artificial concerns about what would happen to us if we all live longer. I think if people lived longer, then would probably be in general people have lived, most people live longer than they did in the past. And in general we think of that as a good thing. Right. And so that's, that's an to, to, what people are afraid of is, is living without a cure for Alzheimer's, living without a cure for, for agonizing cancers. And so, if research could go forward on Alzheimer's on cancer, I mean, I think that would all, of course, that's a good thing. Of course, and that's consistent with the term of Takua Knefesh sure, or saving lives, healing, repairing the world. Right.
0: Okay. One of the more famous research efforts that did draw some criticism and backlash was with the initiation of stem cell research. Uh, when some people based on religious traditions uh, thought that it was unethical or immoral uh, to use stem cells for research. Now, we're a few years past that and stem cell research is becoming more developed. Is there any other line of research that you have seen recently that would give you cause for concern that needs more regulation?
1: I think regulation of science is a good thing I think all science, social science and biological science, should, um, should proceed, but with strong regulatory oversight. And it's particularly true when, the, you, know, when you have um, public money spent for this kind of research. We have a responsibility as a society to make sure the research is fair, to make sure, make sure, make sure the research is, um, not, is done honestly, with full transparency. So any research could fall into that category. There's new and exciting advances in both central research and in synthetic biology. Finally, now, gene genetic manipulation, gene therapy is becoming um, increasingly more successful. These are steady steps, these are slow steps towards a different kind of genetic future, but I think they are important. And of course, they are heavily regulated. The United States um, has many, many committees and many, much oversight for all genetic research. All right. And it's developing the same kind of things with biology, and it certainly does that for all stem cell research. It's quite heavily regulated, actually.
0: I just wanted to get back. To the question, I want to make sure that everyone is clear on the position of equally distributing the fruits of life extension research. Throughout history, and even in the modern day, the fruits of technological progress never have been distributed equally when it is first developed. Whether it was kings in old medieval...
1: That's not the... You know what? That's not the case. That's not the case at all, actually. The most important progress in medicine was separating the water that people drank from the water that people defecated in, and that was done um, with quite quite important attention to the poor. It's a widespread intervention, and it didn't just happen to the rich.
0: No, so but the rich the got it first. Typically, t- typically technological advances. Happen in wealthy countries first, To and wealthy people sure. are able to partake of them first. I mean, you think of any type of technology, someone has to get it first. There's no way of distributing equally any type of technological advance to six billion people immediately. Well, and that, that's not at all time, true. Right?
1: I, that's actually, that's not, that's not at all true. Look at polio vaccine. Polio vaccine is one of the most important kinds of um, interventions, and they've all done fairly and equally. It did not, did, not, did not go just to the rich. We no, went, it we did quite equal in this country. So that's but a, it took a, a while how, it, it yes, took a
0: while for that to be distributed around the world.
1: No, yeah, but around the world. But if we're talking about in one country, in one country, right? even. and in fact, polio vaccine, polio vaccine is still is still an enormous um, success, and as a perfect example for how an, an advance could be distributed fairly unequally. So that's 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 just the case. Right? I mean, we've made advances since the medieval period. Yeah, and in fact, uh, paradoxically enough. Um, Seidenheim, who was contemporary of John Locke, did his advances first for the poor and not for the wealthy. Sometimes the wealthy get overtreated. Sometimes the wealthy get, get, um, get experimented on, actually. And then that's, had, then that's been the case as well. So it's not, it's not a given that which people have to have, the, have to have the best medicine, have to have it first. It's just not a given. No, it you isn't can make a given. a decision given. to act as a democratic country and say we don't want that.
0: So you know, basically, if a phone, new, just, let's you know. say there's a new drug that comes out that cures some uh, malady and you would advocate like a random lottery for the first people who get to use it, is that
1: absolutely? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It okay. should not go okay. to the
0: Okay, that, that, then that let's does... Say, let's, say
1: there's, let's say there's a drug, let's say there's an intervention that figures out um, what is the genetic basis for Alzheimer's, for the APO3 gene. If that drug was just given to the rich... And not to the poor, I would hope there'd be an enormous public outcry. If such a drug is tested, it's tested in a stage three FDA approval process that is regulated by law. Right? It cannot be just given to the rich. It's regulated by law. And after it's been proven in a randomized clinical trial, then and only then can it be sold and marketed. And that kind of drug is an example of a kind of thing that you'd want absolutely available to all people, not just the welfare.
0: Right. The, then there is a constraint problem in the beginning of how much is available. And just as moral argument, you would say it would be better to distribute that randomly, like I mentioned, like, say, a random yes. lottery to who gets it, so that it is as close to evenly distributed as you could possibly make it.
1: Yes, because I'm a professor of religious studies. At the heart of religious studies is this revolutionary idea that all men are created equal, women too. I mean, all human beings share a basic humanity, and that's the basis on which we do medicine. It's not about race. It's not about class. It's not about privilege. Right? It's not about how clever you are. It's about your basic humanity, given to you sure. in many religious traditions, directly by God. And if you believe that, and 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 teach that, then then of course you want you want equality of distribution. Sure.
0: Previously, you did mention that in the Jewish tradition, everyone—I it, mean it's generally taken that that we should try and cure people and, and give them comfortable, long lives uh, and work to uh, cure diseases. Would you foresee yourself partaking in future medical advances that might allow you to live uh, many years longer than has been traditionally seen?
1: Yes, I would. I, of course, like everyone else, I have grandchildren. I want to see what happens to them. You know, so that, of course, um, life so. is an enormous gift, but it's not, remember, it's it's a gift to have a body on one, doesn't belong to you, you're not entitled to it, you've been given a gift. And so, keeping that in mind, um, realizing that we have a a, a relationship with um, our bodies that's not one of ownership of possession, but is one of someone who's received the gift, With that with that kind of humility in mind, I think, yeah, we should go ahead and try to create um the best most best possible lives for for humanity uh
0: any uh recommendations on some reading that uh, listeners could do on the topic of medical ethics that you would recommend
1: well um the principle of, of principle of biomedical ethics by james Childress and tom beecham is what many that's the first place to start for biomedical ethics if you're interested in jewish ethics, there's a wonderful book by benjamin friedman Um, about Jewish ethics and it's called Duty and Healing. Those are two good books to start with. That'll give you a sense of Jewish ethics and um, regular bioethics.
0: Wonderful. And, And lastly, anything you'd like to promote? Any conferences that you are attending soon or speaking at or perhaps any publications that you might have that people would be interested in reading?
1: Well, you know, bioethics is a, is a wonderful and open field um, to which all are invited to attend. And the Association of Professional Association and Academic Association is called the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities. If you go to that, you'll find a great discussion, always on with lots of disagreements. And um, join us. Help think about how to create medicine for the future.
0: Well, thank you very much for the wonderful discussion for this uh, podcast, Dr. Zola.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.
0: Whether it is inequality of access, socioeconomic disruption, or genuine physical danger from life extension treatments, it is good to have someone like Dr. Zola thinking about these issues. We should all make sure to consider the downside to avoid major mistakes. Given the current minimal tolerance, it seems, for risk taking in the developed world, One significant misstep or oversight could set life extension progress back a few years. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.